Well, I have to tell you, I'm going to miss this energy of all of Calvary Baptist Church together, lifting up the name of the Lord and praising Him the way we ought. You know, when we think about our Savior, the one who has saved us, as Pastor Steve has so well led us this morning, it, it can only be responded to with the uh, overflow of our praise and thanksgiving from our hearts. And, and uh, the, the fullness of the energy that God gives us to come into his presence and, and praise him and lift up his name. And I, I, know, I need to tell you that that's the kind of setting that the Lord himself wants to be part of. He says, where two or three are gathered, there I am in their midst. But he says, where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I, there am I in the midst. And in his name implies a lot of things like we are gathered together and worshiping him and praising him based on who he is and what he has done and how much we love him. It's there that he gathers. And uh, so um, God has been placing on my heart this sermon all summer long and uh, maybe longer than that. I, I can't tell you another year of ministry that has me more excited about the things of God than this past year. This year, 2012, and what God has been doing in our midst has been the most exciting, for sure, the most exciting ministry year that I can remember. And uh, I'm just praying that the Lord won't turn the tap of his blessings off. Are you praying that? I I prayed that this week. I prayed so fervently, God, I pray that your presence would be among us when we gather together and worship you on Sunday morning, that you would encourage our hearts as we go forward into the week of serving you. And and, uh, I've just been praying that, and I pray that week by week that God will continue to do amazing things. If you've been hanging out here at Calvary for any time at all, or any length of time at all, you will know that the brand that God laid on my heart for Calvary when I first got here years ago was Psalm 33. And in Psalm 33, that that serious brand there that, that God puts out for us is to totally praise God and to totally trust Him. I'm not going to take the time to go through that psalm with you, but you know, in fact, that that's a summary of that psalm. And I have sought over the years to attempt to give practical application uh, toward the, the total trust and total praise of our God. And so uh, this morning... As I said, uh, the fire that God has put in my heart uh, with respect to our ministry and our mission includes that urgency that we might be a people who totally trust and totally praise our God. But, but I'm calling on the Lord to uh, inflame our hearts, to dial it up even more so than we have ever experienced. Are you with me on that? So I want to share with you this morning the thoughts that God has put on, in, in my heart and and, and uh, I think it's important for us, even though this is a reminder to you, I doubt whether you're going to, to hear anything new here this morning, but I hope that it will be a, an encouragement to you all over again when we consider the, the question of who we really are. Who, who are we? Because who we think we are will absolutely shape what we think we should do and be. And so I want to... Uh, point out to you this morning, as we've been singing these songs about our king, the king of glory, I I want you to know that while, if you've been noticing, while God is being systematically evicted 
from every walk of life, from every department of our world, we're a people who are preparing for the coming of the king. That's who we are. What kind of a church are we? Who are we? We're preparing for the king. The king is coming. And we're to be a kind of people who are preparing and ministering in a way that is going to hand over the whole world to its rightful king. We are preparing for that royal handover. So we need to be a church, a people that prepares, uh, prepares this world around us for the coming of her king. Uh, we uh, have been given the assignment by God of being vice regents of all that he has created. There's coming a day when we will be handing that vice regency over to its rightful regal, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And he will have dominion from, from sea to sea. And so maybe we've forgotten that. You know, when we gather here on a Sunday morning, we are a people who are preparing for the coming of the King, the Lord of glory. And we, we must not forget about that when we gather together and lift up our voices and our hearts together in praise that we are responsible for that, that all of this universe belongs to him. And it hopefully never shames us, but it could, that all of creation itself is poised moment by moment, waiting for the king. Read it in Romans chapter 8, where it says there that, that the, the creation itself is waiting is poised in anticipation for the sons of God to be revealed. The the insects, the birds, the flowers, the trees, the organisms, the smallest of organisms are poised, waiting for the king of glory. Shouldn't God's church be ready? Shouldn't God's church be preparing itself for the coming of the king? Shouldn't people notice something in us that is different, absolutely different? There's a people preparing for a royal welcome for the king of glory, Jesus Christ. That's who we are. So let's make sure we upgrade our passion as we gather and praise him. Secondly, not only are we a people preparing for a royal handover because the king is coming... But we are a gospel church. We're a gospel church. And that means something. It means something very specific. It means we are a good news church in a bad news world. It means that we take the responsibility of delivering the good news seriously in a world that is self-consumed. Now, um, there are a couple of things that I want to brush up on within our own church to make sure that we're not falling prey to to some of the things that move people away from being a true gospel church. Now, um, it's important for us to understand that the gospel, I, I agree with Matt Chandler in his book, Explicit Gospel, which is an excellent read. I agree with him when he says the gospel is more about God than it is about us. Now, uh, if you pay any attention at all to what the Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 1, he said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it is, what? The power of God to the salvation of those who believe. It is the power of God. And in in a couple of verses later in Romans chapter 1, he says, we have received through salvation a righteousness from God. So the gospel 
is more about God than it is about us. Now, the reason I say that, and the reason I stress that, other than the fact that the Bible stresses it, is because there are movements to make the church more about people than about God. Now, I'm for people. Are you for people? I mean, I am looking at a lot of people here this morning. I'm standing here, I'm telling you what, I'm for people. But I'm for people in the context of being first and foremost for God. Because that's what salvation is all about. Salvation brought us into our lives the power of God. Salvation brought into our lives a righteousness from God. There are some churches that I think are straying from the core reality of the gospel being about God by increasingly making the church more about people and more about what people want as opposed to what God wants and who God is. Which means that we are just continuing to to move people further and further entrenched into loving this world and the things of this world and not preparing themselves for a handover of this world to the king who is coming. The other thing that I believe is, is in danger of occurring is that Satan just simply wants us to settle down, relax, calm down. You understand that? What he really wants to put on a service like this is, hey, come on, just settle down. Don't get too excited. Relax. Become more sophisticated. Uh, make it more about knowledge, but not about experiencing the power and greatness of God. You see, he knows he's already lost us. He's already lost us to the, to the king, the king who is coming. So he wants to make sure that we're not too passionate, not too excited, that when we gather together, it's kind of dull and, 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 and dumbed down, and it, it, it's relaxed so that, that nobody gets too excited about the things of God. And when someone strays in here and doesn't know the living Christ, they're like, well, I'm not sure I really want to know him. Nobody around here seems too excited about him. i got to say this morning, if someone came in here without Jesus Christ, they for sure do not think that they don't want to know him. When they came in here this morning and the praise was glorious and we lifted up our voices and got passionate and excited about our great God, then truly they recognized that, the, that something different here is among these people. Someone different is among these people because we're a gospel church. Therefore, let's upgrade our passion to launch the gospel from the glory of God And for the glory of God, when we gather here on Sunday mornings to lift up our worship and praise and to upgrade our passion, it is from that context that the living Christ launches his gospel, the saving work of Jesus Christ. So let's upgrade it. Uh, Not uh, all of our planning, all of our expecting, all of our preparing, all of our intending should be for a weekly glory encounter with the power and presence of God. I like that verse up there. That verse reminds us of the very thing I'm telling you about being a gospel church. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. When you come into this church, that's what we intend to do together. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Lift up his name together. That's what we've come to do. In the presence of God, to set aside every personal agenda for the sake of a glorious assembly with God in a corporate worship gathering. More about God, because we're a gospel church. We're also 
truth tellers. If you've been paying any attention to the world that we're presently living in, it is seeking in every possible way with every resource possible to silence righteousness and to, mo- and to make morality socially illegal. And we have been given this glorious responsibility by the living Christ and are the only truth-tellers in all the planet. Did you ever think that, I know I didn't, did you ever think that you would live to see the day in this Christian West where telling the truth would be punished? In the middle of the summer, I'm not sure how much of a foo-for-all it created here in Canada, but in August, I was in the U.S. And during that time, there's a, a franchise, a chicken franchise, the gospel bird, you know, that's what chickens are, because that's what we like to eat, Christians. There was a... Um, foo-for-all stateside at a chicken franchise called Chick-fil-A. You hear that thing? Chick-fil-A is the long-standing, its long-standing owners are devout followers of Jesus Christ. And um, during the time uh, I was there, the owner, the present CEO of of Chick-fil-A made a statement that Chick-fil-A is a family-owned and family-led company that is managed on biblically-based principles that include closing on Sundays, operating debt-free, devoting a percentage of their profits back to their communities. But in the, um, in the interview process with respect to the company, they were asked about... Um, their traditional family values. And the CEO, Dan Cathy is his name, said, guilty as, we're guilty as charged. He went on to say, we are very much supportive of the family, the biblical definition of the family unit. We are family-owned business, family-led business, and we are married to our first wives, and we give God thanks for that. And we intend to stay the course. We know that it might not be popular with everyone, but thank the Lord we live in a country where we can share our values and operate on biblical principles. Well, apparently that's not so. They were not allowed to share their values because there was, as I said, a firestorm in the U.S. with respect to their position on the biblical institution of marriage as the only one that that God... uh, recognizes. Such um, an event occurred, such a whirlwind event occurred that the mayors of Boston, Chicago, and San Francisco threatened to exercise their influence to prevent the expanding of any Chick-fil-A franchises into the cities of Boston or Chicago. In fact, San Francisco doesn't allow Chick-fil-A to have a franchise. Uh, as a, as by way of a sidebar... Can you even imagine if there was a Christian mayor of a city who said he wouldn't allow some sort of 
pagan business or, or um, pornographic video business from coming into the city. Can you imagine? We are living in a time whereby it is becoming socially illegal to speak the truth. The silencing of righteousness. So the church, we must be uh, vigilant and passionate about the truth and about us as truth tellers, about us as promising to our community that the truth will be told at Calvary Baptist Church, that the people of Calvary Baptist Church are truth tellers. Now, I want to go beyond simply the, the world of those who don't like us and move to um, a caution within the evangelical ranks themselves that it is imperative that you have a passion and that we have a passion against any and all interpretations of Scripture that are more about accommodating modern cultural sensitivities than they are about the original intention of the author themselves. If you are paying any attention at all, there is increasingly a drift toward accommodating cultural sensitivities with our interpretation of Scripture as opposed to the original understanding and expectation of the author itself. And as far as Calvary Baptist Church's teaching position is concerned, we will continue to teach that the Bible teaches there is a gender distinctiveness and that there is a difference in roles between men and women in the home and in the church because that's what the Bible teaches. We will continue to teach that there is an existence of hell, that those who, by way of lifetime rebellion, insist upon shutting God out of their life, will sadly have the experience of having God shut out of their lives for all of eternity, because that's what the Bible teaches. We will continue to teach that only sexual expression between a man and a woman within a marriage, is acceptable to God. That's the only sexual expression acceptable to God. We'll teach that because that's what the Bible teaches. We'll continue to tell the truth to our community and live the truth to our community because that's what God's Word says. And we're going to continue to teach the truth about creation and the fact that God, out of nothing, made all that there is In six days when he called forth time himself and called it in this amazing way. Because that's what the scriptures teach. We're not going to seek to try and accommodate culture or make somehow the Bible more palatable. Because if if we do, we loosen the teachings of the scriptures from the gospel moorings themselves. And we will not, in order to be loving or attractional or conciliatory... Step outside of the boundaries of the truth of God's word. We're not going to seek to be obnoxious. Absolutely not. But we're going to stay within the boundaries of truth and not allow our teaching to be in opposition to the truth because if we do, history has already shown over the centuries of time that God-fearing gospel people 
who accommodate cultural sensitivities by watering down the truth eventually drift from orthodoxy into liberalism. That's the pattern of history. And so we must be vigilant as truth-tellers of the Word of God. So, in light of all of that, let's guarantee our community that truth is a sure thing at Calvary. We'll expose the, the foolishness of the new normal vision. That's not going to be our vision. We're going to express the truth. And our vision of life and ethics and morality is going to be based on a new creation vision. Not some cultural new normal vision, but a new creation vision. So what is that? Would you turn in your Bibles with me for a moment to 2 Corinthians chapter 5? I want to make sure that we understand, having given an overview of who we are, we're a people preparing for a royal handover. We're a gospel church. We're a truth-telling people. Let's be sure we know what God really blesses. And this is what he blesses. In, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, and the new has come. And all this is from God, Pay attention to this. Who reconciled us, who reconciled you to himself through Christ and gave us together the ministry or the diakonos, the service, the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he is committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Let's be sure we know what God blesses. In this overview of who we are, he doesn't just bless charity or ecology. He doesn't just bless the gazing at God. He doesn't just bless being morally right. He blesses his new creation vision for us. Our gospel business model that is given to us in the scripture text here. Which is how we should determine our time and our passions and our energy and our financial resources. They are to be devoted To what God blesses as a church and as individuals who love the Lord. This is what Christ died for. And this is what his work, Christ's work, eventuates. Now let me make sure we understand that you understand. God initiated reconciliation between himself and you by mediating the deal through Christ alone. This is our message The only way to be right with God goes through the cross. Christ's cross intersects with repentant faith and people get saved. That's the message. It's not participating in a worship experience only. 
It's not being nice to disenfranchised people. As good as all of these things are, it's not about church ritual or family background, nor is it about love. It is about a God who himself reconciled himself to us through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's about a God, a loving God, who purposely and intentionally has set the wheels in motion of reconciliation that people might have peace with God. That's what he's done for you. And not only has he done that for you, but he's gathered us together so that we would have an exclusive assignment by God, a ministry, a a service, a a diakonos in in the uh, original language, a, a specific ministry responsibility. And that is, as one writer states, to be heralds of the cross and Christ's resurrection. So serious is the estrangement of people from God So needful is reconciliation. So magnanimous is the love of God that he sacrificed his one and only son so that people could be reconciled to God. And we as a church are to take that message to everyone and declare with our passion and our energy as we gather together and when we leave from here, we are to take and be Christ's ambassadors, taking that message of reconciliation everywhere. We are to tell people, do you realize that God has, made, has done everything that needs to be done so that you can have peace with God? All you have to do is turn to him, embrace his truth, turn in repentance to him, and he will welcome you into his family. All the work has already been done. God has made us Christ's ambassadors to tell people that their sin and their self-fixation are no longer in the way of their peace with God. They can embrace peace with God through his reconciliation through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's our message. That's what God blesses. He blesses it when we do that. So finally then, what will we give our passionate energy toward in light of the state of of the world, in light of the fact that we know we are people who are calling our world to respond to a king who is coming. We're a gospel church. We're a truth-telling people. We understand that that what God blesses is, is the ambassadorship of the message of reconciliation. We understand all of that. So what's our what's our call? What what's our What's our our energy as as we move ourselves into this, really, the church new year of 2012-2013? What is is it that that God will will absolutely uh, bless in terms of giving us energy and passion? In Matthew 6.10, Jesus said, pray for this, that God's kingdom would come and that his will would be done here on earth as it is in heaven. What does that look like? That means bending heaven down to earth every day of our lives in everything that we do. It it, it is really what it means to prepare the kingdom for the coming king in a practical way. When sin became the, uh, the choice against God's will, everything became messed up. Nothing works right. Nothing in our world works right because man chose sin in rebellion toward God. But God has given us this amazing 
amazing ministry, amazing assignment. He wouldn't have prayed it if he wasn't meaning it. That the will of God the Father, that is always accomplished in heaven, could be brought to earth by the energy and passion and commitment of the people of God. What it means in a practical way is that that wherever we see the effects of the curse of sin, we set out to reverse that through the energy and power and blessing of God. Whether it be sickness or brokenness or rebellion or resistance, hostility or disorder, where chaos and darkness or there's moral muck and mire, the people of God are called to be people who do the work of God reversing the curse of sin. Leading people to taste and see that the Lord is good. It means demonstrating to all around us the fruit of the Spirit in our behavior so that we take the grace of the Spirit of God wherever He takes us, giving people a fresh taste of what heaven is like by being in your presence, by allowing the Spirit of God to move in your life and make a difference, showing forth that that God is worthwhile to taste Him and experience Him and see Him, to bless your neighborhood, to bless your city in all kinds of curse-reversing efforts. It means to worship the living God with white-hot worship, with God for... uh, with, with God and his glory, the king is coming. Every Sunday that we gather is a dress rehearsal for the coming king. Pastor Steve is, um, is, is um, relentless when he has his concert time. That that last night before the concert is a dress rehearsal so that in every possible way everybody is giving their best energy and doing everything that they're going to do when the real command performance arrives. It seems to me that every Sunday gathering here we should be calling down heaven the will of God to be done on earth as it is in heaven. That every Sunday should be a dress rehearsal for what you would be like energy-wise and passion-wise. For when the Lord himself descends with a trump and a shout and comes to gather you together to be with him. Because that's what this is. It's a, it's a dress rehearsal and the living God is, is expressing in the heavenlies, look at those people. Look at that people. They get it. Action number two, we're to push back the gates that cannot prevail. When Jesus looked at his disciples in Matthew 16, 18, he said to Peter in particular, upon this rock, I will build my church. And what did he say? And the gates of hell shall not prevail. Now, there are many attempts at interpreting this particular picture, but, but consider this. 
What is the purpose of gates? What do you have doors for? To keep stuff out. Right? I, I've never seen gates that are, you, you take gates to go and fight a battle. You know, people show up, can you imagine a whole army with gates? What, what are you doing? You got gates. No, no, the gates are a defensive mechanism. Satan is set up increasing sizes of defense. And if you pay attention, they're getting larger and more expansive. And they carry all the poles of society. We are called upon by the living Christ to carry the message. And the defensive gates of hell will not hold up. We're to, we're to push forward. And, and as far as it comes to building the church of Jesus Christ, he will not allow the gates of hell to stop that. When he sees a people or a person who is passionately, energetically, resourcefully committed to moving forth the gospel so that the church, the body of Christ will be built... Those gates are going open. He's going to allow you to push through. So we need to be people who push the gates that cannot prevail. We need to keep the message on the offense, crashing into evil defenses. We need to be people who are bolder and more courageous and more audaciously faithful. Spirit-filled ambassadors pounding at walls that, that are in the way of building the body of Christ. I am so excited about what God has done around this place, as I told you this past year. But just a few things that God has been doing among us this summer that have been pushing the gates of hell away and, and, and moving forward the increase of the body of Christ. You know that 49 young souls, previously unchurched, came to know Jesus Christ this summer. Forty. Nine kids who've never heard about Jesus now love him. That's pushing back the gates of hell. Do we realize that this past year, Pastor Jonathan prayed that God would give us 52 people who would be baptized and follow the Lord. So far this year, 58 have already been baptized. And we're only at September, the beginning of September. Praise the Lord. He's pushing it back. There have been 199 baptisms in the last six years. God is pushing forward and making a difference in people's lives here at Calvary Baptist Church. Do you realize that we experienced a 12% increase in, intend in attendance here this summer at Calvary Baptist Church over last year and increased givings? Because God is saying, hey, listen, if you want to be energetic and passionate about me, if you want to be white hot in worship, if you want to be bold and courageous and, and, and take advantage of opportunities... And if you're passionate and committed about building the body of Christ, I'll push open those gates and I'll give you opportunities upon opportunities and effectiveness upon effectiveness. That's what God is saying to us. Do we realize that we have increased opportunities to, to push back in areas of darkness in our campus ministries here in the city? Let's pray that God will do amazing things as, as we go there with an attitude of building up the body of Christ 
And, and you know what? It's time for us to say, who says we can't take the gospel there? Who says we can't take the gospel there? From now on, regardless, say, that's too hard. It costs too much. Too much opposition. Wait a second. Who says we can't take the gospel there? We need to be able to take the gospel to our neighborhoods, to the world systems, to, to the, the places that are hard, to the places that are resisting, to the places that are, that are growing more and more resistant. Because Jesus, our Lord and King and Master, says that those gates cannot prevail. So go for it. That's what he's telling us to do. I'm excited about our, our local MPP, Jerry Willette. He takes every single opportunity he can to make sure he injects an awareness of the living Christ in every event that he has the responsibility of hosting. I know that personally because I'm usually his go-to guy. I know what he's doing. He's simply taking advantage of the opportunities that are not well-received that are not politically correct. And I'm not, I'm not trying to get political here or give him any kudos. Or He's in Sri Lanka today. He doesn't even know what I'm saying. I'm simply saying that that's the practical examples that God's people are to use to push open the gates. Because when you are committed to the building of the body of Christ, Jesus says, those gates will not stand up. I think we need to, as a church, be taking on things that are way beyond our size, way beyond our ability, way beyond our imagination, because Christ wants to build his church. Finally. Have I said finally before? <laughs> this really kind of is finally. So I can't take myself anymore. I'm going to fall over and foam on the ground or something. <laughs> this is where I want to get personal with you. Action three. In Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 40, Isaiah chapter 40, there's a characteristic there that describes the action that God's people should give energy to. In Isaiah chapter 43 to 5. And John the Baptist jumped all over this. So Rick the Baptist is going to jump all over it this morning. And said, this is, John, John said, this is who I am. When they asked, who are you, John? He quoted this. He said, this is who I am. And, and quite honestly, when we are trying to identify who we are, this is who we are. We are voices calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up and every mountain and hill made low. And the rough ground shall become level and the rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed. And all Mankind together will see it. On what authority? For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. This is it, beloved. Man, I'm so glad to see you all back. I missed you. I love you. You know that. It's so good to have you here. Listen, 
This is our call. This is our passion. This is our energy. The king is coming. We're a gospel church. We're a truth-telling church. We're ambassadors of reconciliation. We're called to bend heaven to earth. We're pushing back the gates that cannot prevail against the, the, the truth of Jesus Christ. And we are people, together and individually, who are going to raise up valleys and take down mountains that are interfering with the coming of the king. That's what we're called to do. That's what we're called to give energy to. This is how you will test in your life what is worthwhile. What we should give energy to. What, what we will spend our, our best on. It's being ambassadors and forerunners of a royal visitation. So that the pathways of the king of kings will be smooth and straight. So that he can come to people. Now, what's in, what's in the way? I mean, you think valleys and mountains, you're, well, okay, I don't know how that really practically has any implication toward me. Let me put it this way to you in question form. What is it in this church, in your life, that's getting in the way of Jesus getting to you or your family or your neighbors, or your co-workers. What is it in you or in us? And I would say that it is absolutely imperative for us to get a picture personally in our own minds of what might be our personal idol mountains. They got to be torn down. I can't tear them down for you. That's something that you have to do through the power of God. What is, you have to take an honest inventory of your life and ask the question, is there anything, anything in my life that interferes with me ever being with Jesus, or Jesus getting to me, getting to my family, getting to the people around me? And the second is the valley thing. We have all kinds of personal preference and prejudice potholes in our life. We're working hard as a church to make sure we get rid of any potential idols that might be in the way of Jesus. And we're working as a church family to get rid of any potholes, preferences that might get in the way of Jesus getting to somebody. Listen, let me, let me be honest with you. If you want worship for yourself, you're going to never experience any white-hot worship. All you'll get is a form of godliness and a church that God never attends. So, worship, the gospel, is about God and what he wants. And so I, I would implore you, I would urge you, as people of God, to make radical choices that will fast-track your heart to getting rid of the mountains and filling in any potholes 
so we make straight the way of the Lord to ourselves, to our children, to our children's children, to our neighbors, to our co-workers, to anyone who the Lord Jesus Christ entrusts to us who would wander in off the street and come into this place. Jesus showed up at the very end of the Bible and he talked to John, the gospel writer, about a church in Ephesus that he said did lots of great things. Jesus' words now. But one thing was a huge problem. They had lost their first love. And in order to track how they lost their first love, you have to ask yourself, well, what did they do at the first? Because Jesus said, return to what you used to do, what you did at first. To find out what they did at first, you have to go to Acts chapter 19 and find out the Ephesus church. What, what, was, they, what was happening there? Do you know what was happening there? It says in the text, they were, they were bringing in their... their um, their cultic things, they were bringing their, their uh, um, mystical things and, and all the things that were in the way of God and they were burning them. They made great fire and burned all those things. They were, they were practically, specifically doing things. Removing idle mountains. Filling in potholes that were getting in the way of the love of Jesus and their love for him. He said, go back to that. I challenge you, Calvary Baptist Church, in all that we have said and done and tried to do over the years, let's make sure our passion is about being a glory-revealing church, the glory of God. That's what he's called us to do. And then, white-hot, passionate worship for his glory We'll literally set the world on fire for God. Our Father, I pray. I pray with all of my heart that you would upgrade our passion for the glory of God, our courage, our boldness to prepare for a coming king, to be a real gospel church, which is more about God than us, to be truth-tellers, unwilling to fudge the boundaries of truth to accommodate anyone or anything, I pray. For Jesus' sake, amen. Well, do we see it? Do you see it? You see it? The glory of God? There are two things that are kind of stressed by the Lord to his people in the scriptures. He tells us to go and make disciples. Go and make. To go. But he also tells us to invite people to come and see and taste that the Lord is good. There's a lot of strategy discussions around church these days about how to grow church and how to build church. It seems to me that those two priorities are essential that in your going, incarnate Jesus, be 
filled with the glory and presence of God. And in your inviting, make sure that the place is filled with the presence and glory of God. We owe each other that that accountability, that responsibility, when we go and invite people to come here to Calvary Baptist Church, that when they arrive here, they should experience the fullness of the glory and presence of God. So we're called to be a glory-revealing church, the double-I church, incarnating the glory of God and, and, and uh, demonstrating the glory of God, inv- inviting people to the glory of God. That's, that's what we're called to do. Can I ask you, urge you on, on behalf of your great love for God, that the churches that are accomplishing great things for God are the churches that have a passion for the glory of God. So can you make it your Message your ministry, your heart passion this year to continue to embrace the fullness of God's glory and be passionate about it. Because God is passionate about his glory. That's the kind of church we need to be. That's the kind of church we are. That's the kind of church God is continuing to make us into. That's the kind of church that's going to set Durham Region on fire for the living Christ. So can I give, can I ask one more thing? Come back tonight for some fire and passion and glory of God. Would you do that? Let's do it. Let's do it. Our Father and our God, we ask you, because you are the God who works in our hearts, We ask you to take your message, your word to us. You're the celestial celestial coach. We're your team. You've given us our game plan. Would you help us, Lord, to execute it? As we've been singing, do it, Lord. Do it, Lord. For Jesus' sake, amen.